In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Then Jesus, armed with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. Luke 4, verse 14. The beginning of Luke's chapter 4 recounts my son's favorite story, Jesus' temptations. Don't ask me why he liked it so much. I do know for me, the sheer willpower of Christ was quite illuminating. Later... In verse 13, having failed with the Son of God miserably, the devil scuttled off to wait for another time, and we're told that Jesus was armed with the power of the Spirit. A retreat leader of mine once said that Eastern spirituality has the Father and the Spirit, and we have the Son. Now that I've been meditating on this verse all week, I was surprised to find in myself a scant regard for the Spirit. Yet it is the Spirit that will fortify us if we allow him to. Furthermore, from this revealing nugget of a verse, the word then tells me that after the 40 days of temptation, Jesus was armed with the Holy Spirit. He leaned very heavily on this third person of the Trinity, and so can we. All the temptations I'm faced with on a daily basis, of which I resist only a few, to eat another crumpet, to take a nap instead of cooking, or just be lazy, leave me worn out and disheartened. But our Heavenly Father has sent us a comforter, a paraclete, a supporter to fire us up, to refreshen us, to arm us with power. And in our human weakness, we overlook this oft-forgotten sacred wing of safety. Consider a toy with exhausted batteries. Remember what happens when those batteries are replaced with new ones? With the Holy Spirit, I can enjoy a jolt of energy surging through my body, making the resistance of temptation worthwhile. Read the verse again. It may change your life. Good afternoon and good morning. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. First off, happy birthday to my mother-in-law, Anne, in Lindale. Hope you're listening. I hear you got the day off yesterday to relax and enjoy. We were thinking of you. Had you have been here, you would have been walked off your feet sightseeing. This afternoon in London, my guest will be Imran Shah, a Pakistani-born resident of Great Britain, who is a child protection social worker and a homeschooling father of two. Imran has a unique story to tell about how he became involved with the headers, as home educators are called here, so stay tuned. Other topics to be considered this week will be the scattering of ashes, half-term in London, my visiting daughter from Texas, and the long, drawn-out seller information forms I've had to complete this week. I hope you have your coffee or your tea and are ready for a delicious fancy or muffin close at hand because here goes. 
Paris, our teacher daughter, arrived on Saturday from Texas, and her blue-eyed papa and I made our way blindfolded this time to Heathrow at a decent hour, I must add, because her plane didn't land until 11.50. She'd carried all her bags on with her, another light traveller, and so came through the customs doors at 12.07 p.m. We literally turned around and retraced our steps along the moving walkways within 20 minutes of arrival at Terminal 3, and Paris, between pants, said... Simon told me to be prepared for a lot of walking, a lot of fast walking. She kept asking us to slow down so she could take in the Englishness of the airport. When we got to Victoria, she was exhausted and ready for a 20-minute sit-down on an above-ground, uncrowded train where she could watch the London high-rises give way to suburban parks and detached houses. Our walk up the road from the station was a stroll for me as I pointed out some of the more beautiful homes, attractive apartment buildings, and the place where Malia retrieved an earwig-laden black cardigan earlier this summer that I told you about. Then we were home, and she was pleasantly surprised at the size of the flat, probably the same size as the bungalow in Broadstairs, she observed accurately. And in the lounge, she remarked, Mother, how can you see out of those windows? They're a disgrace. And they were. The sun was streaming through the vast expanse of glass, showing up every smear made by the ineffectual window cleaner I've been using. I'd like to say I ran and picked up a cloth to buff them from the inside while I could see the smears, but I didn't. I just opened the windows up and deflected the direct glare. Paris is not as fast-paced as Simon, thank goodness, and she didn't have such a demanding agenda. For example, she woke up one day during the week and we had a coffee with a couple of tiny pan au chocolat for breakfast and I asked her what she wanted to do and she said, looking out at the cloudy sky and gentle but persistent rain through the sparkling windows now that the sun wasn't illuminating every smear and swipe of my sloppy housework. I'm happy to stay at home, she said. Maybe go get a nice cream later. Fine with me. With that exchange, I wondered how two such different children could manage in a classroom that expected everyone to be at the same level and move at the same pace. It's a good job I was able to homeschool because I've been made very aware, with having almost each child here alone with me for a short time this summer, just how completely different they are and how unfortunate they were to be able to direct their own education with some solid guidance from me. And with that, We'll go to my guest this week, Imran Shah, who lives in England with his family. Imran turned to his wife one day and said, let's keep our children at home with us and home educate them and never send them to school. And they did. He has an interesting story as to how he came to this decision. And he's going to share his thoughts on not wanting to hand his two children over to strangers and lose out on spending precious time with them himself we're going to talk about education and the law social workers and their relationship with headers the gentle slang for homeschoolers here good afternoon imran and welcome to my show this afternoon hey good afternoon vivian thank you thank you very much you're welcome so imran whereabouts in england are you well i live in southern england and i Mm -hmm. work in an inner city local authority in london Okay, so what's the name of the inner city? I'm, I'm not going to say that because one of the things that I'm conscious oh, of is you know, well, my role as a child protection social worker because often oh, I have okay. uh, come into contact with home educating families professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually that's one of the things that struck me is how it's exploded because 10 years ago I hardly came across any home educators as uh-huh. a social worker. 
Yeah. And I think in the last year, I've encountered maybe three or four families. Oh, right. Okay. So that's, that's I'd, I'd rather not say which yeah. so, in a London authority. Okay. So, and you can't say where on the south coast you live. No, I, I mean, people will know. Oh, okay. Know. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing, because um, I introduced you earlier on as, um, I don't know if I, if I said where you were born, but why don't you go ahead and tell us where you were born and just a little bit about your background. All right. Thank you. So I was born in Lahore, which is the second largest city in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I came to this country when I was five. My father at the time was an accountant for the Pakistani embassy. So we came as uh, children of a diplomat. Uh, mm-hmm. My mum was a university lecturer in Pakistan, uh, and uh, I got an elder brother and a younger sister. And uh, she came here, we all came here together in 1970. Uh, my mum went on to become a teacher. She was a very successful and effective teacher, uh, teaching infants, and she got all the difficult kids that none of the other teachers could handle, and she would turn them around. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if, if my mum had been alive, because she passed away, a few months after my um, after my son was born, uh, he's mm-hmm. seven years old. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure she would have approved of our choice to educate them at home. Good, good. You know, I, I mean, I, I've lived most of my life in London. I went to school in London, and I had a great time at school. Mm-hmm. I didn't fulfil my potential, but I really, really enjoyed myself. Mm-hmm. But then, um, enjoying yourself isn't consistent with the schooling project, it's not what the teachers want. They don't want students, they don't want me to enjoy myself the way I was enjoying myself. Uh Um, And I left without any qualifications. And quite by accident, I got into social work just to help a a friend out uh, who said, you've got got a talent for this. Why Uh don't you think of this as a career? So I started, I got into social work. I could only get so far without a degree. So mm-hmm. as a mature student, um, I went to university to study for a social work degree. Okay. Um, can I interrupt you for a moment and say that sure. you, you, you left school without any qualifications? So does that mean you left school at 16? No, sorry. I left at 18 without A-levels. Oh, you uh, did? But you got, I, did... I got my O-levels, yes, the GCSEs yeah, yeah. equivalent. But yeah. I failed my A-levels three times in a row. Oh, I no. was just hopeless at exams. Yeah, Completely yeah. Hopeless. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, today, a lot of it, um, you know, depends on how well you do at exams as to how well you you um, perform at school. And it really doesn't have any bearing on, you know, what, you know, how clever you are or whatever. You just can't take exams. No, none whatsoever. And if you if, if I look, I think uh, John Taylor Gatton makes this point in one of his books. I can't remember which one about how children are examined and tested and graded, but adults aren't. Now, I, mm-hmm. I have to write uh, reports regularly, and I'm not graded for my reports, mm-hmm. and I, nor am I compared with my colleagues, because such a system would be completely dysfunctional and disempowering. Mm-hmm. Yet somehow mm-hmm. it's acceptable to do that to children in schools in the name of educating them, and all mm-hmm. it does is leave them disempowered. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, look, a lot of schools are operating though with the bottom line and I suppose that's the only way they can really you know sort of prove that they're doing their tasks so I mean I've had arguments not arguments discussions with my cousins who are educators and um, you know they, they find the same thing you know they you, you know that you might have a lot of art going on but how can you grade it if you can't just say a child is creative so give me the money you've got to kind of have some kind of proof out there so 
Yes, as if the grading made a difference. <laughs> well, it does to the bottom line, apparently, but it doesn't to the child, I don't think. I mean, except for making the child feel less than they are. Yes, well, and, it, and absolutely the bottom line, because even though schools are public agencies, they have to secure funding. The teacher has mm-hmm. got performance criteria to fulfill. Mm-hmm. If they mm-hmm. don't fulfill them, you know, they'll get berated by their head teacher. The head mm-hmm. teacher is answerable to the local authority and up to the Department of Education. So it's all to justify mm-hmm. funding and money. So a- absolutely. Yeah, I have, absolutely. I, I have a friend of mine. I mean, I, I've been pretty successful and effective in converting uh, some of my community to home education. Okay, and Imran, we're going to have to go on a break. So when you come back, let's talk about that, converting some of your friends over to homeschooling and um, or home education. So here's the break, and we'll be back in about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand comes Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Linda Link is Lindell's first and only internet radio broadcast. Holly, tell us about it. It's really something from my heart that I want to be teamwork um, for the entire community to get the word out about everything that's going on here. We're talking to the entire community of Lindell. This is not limited to just businesses or just parents or just teachers. Simply to get the word out about your cause or your company, you must go to where the people are. And today, people are on the internet. Lindale Link. Lindale, Texas is a growing chain of of business, education, commerce, community. Together, Linda Link can create one strong chain of communication. Check out LindaleLink.com and then check out Lindale Link, the radio show. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand. Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. The Way of the Toddler with hosts Lita and Lori Hamilton is a show unlike any other parenting program you've ever heard. Zen Masters in Diapers? Yes. Join us Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central here on Toginet as we celebrate parenthood as a spiritual path for a journey to inner peace. With thought-provoking and spiritually compelling guests, each week Lita and Lori will explore how our children help us with the lessons we came here to learn, adding deeper meaning to our lives and relationships while giving you valuable gems to add to your unique parenting toolkit. Check out the website, thewayofthetoddler.com. With great humor and honesty, Lita and Lori will demonstrate how inner peace is possible even when surrounded by poopy divers and piles of laundry, and what we can learn from the innate wisdom and natural spirituality of our Zen masters and diapers. It's The Way of the Toddler with Lita and Lori Hamilton, Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, here on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. So we left with you um, telling us that you um, persuaded or have converted some of your friends um, to homeschooling. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yes, I mean, um, I'm just, I was just thinking, like, how come, how come? And I think one of the things is that I've got uh, training, because uh, I worked for a training and development company called Landmark Education, which, mm-hmm. which is all about asking useful questions, questions that dig deeper. And one of the things I got out of uh, my work with them is that how I see the world isn't necessarily how it is. Mm-hmm. But I think that it really is that way. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? Like if, if I uh-huh. thought that the earth was flat, I'd live in a, and take actions mm-hmm. consistent with the earth being flat. Mm-hmm. But that would be my reality, even though the world isn't flat. Mm-hmm. So then um, how I think about home education or school or any subject isn't how it really is. It's just how I think. And likewise, yeah. it's the same for other people. And they mm-hmm. just don't know it. Mm-hmm. So then, the, so then uh, the challenge has been to ask them to consider questions that perhaps they hadn't considered and to ask myself of that. So one of the questions that I asked, I remember one very dear friend of mine who's a teacher, and at first he was um, you know, adamant that I was doing the wrong thing and I should send my children to school and what's mm-hmm. going on and how they're going to learn. But having a conversation with him where, um, you know, I, I got him to, to consider, well, where did schools come from and who designed them and why? And, and that came out of my own exploration because when I was uh, working as a social worker about six, seven years ago, a colleague mentioned home education. I knew nothing about it. And I just mm-hmm. got curious. And um, that just reminds me something about um, Th- Thomas Edison. Uh, he went to school for about a year. And the, in the end, the teachers threw him out. The school threw him out. They said he asked too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that didn't <laughs> stop him in going on being successful. So just asking questions like, where did schools come from? Mm-hmm. Who designed them? Why did they design them this way? If I was going to design a way of educating children, what would I design? Mm-hmm. Um. And one of the questions for me in particular as a Pakistani-born British citizen is wondering, well, who brought schools to Pakistan and India and South Africa and Australia? Because um, my experience and Indian people and Pakistanis' experience of uh, the British rule, it wasn't a philanthropic exercise. And they brought schools to their colonies in order to separate children from their families and from their gods. You know, don't follow your gods, whether you're Hindu, Muslim, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to your parents. Listen to us. We are, the, we are your rulers now. Mm-hmm. And it was the same design from the, from the original Prussian model in the early part of the 19th century. And none of this I was taught at school or in my social work degree course, and they don't teach it to teachers. Teachers aren't taught about the history of schools. So um, I had conversations with, uh, with my teacher friends about that, and um, I got to the point where this, where this friend of mine, uh, Graham, said, listen, I, he was ready to quit his job as a teacher. I've had it, I've had it, I've had it. Mm. Now, uh, what happened was he stayed because I said, look, you've got to think about your pension. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need something to go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now to the point where, you know, he's determined that when he has children, he will home educate them. 
and mm-hmm. he's also uh, went on to do a master's in education. And I, I've been fortunate that way as well. I have great people around me, and they were willing to listen and look in those questions. So that's part of the story of what brought you to homeschooling. I'm sure you didn't really just spring it on your wife one day without her knowing that you were thinking about doing this. But no, um, no, no. This, the story the story is great. But you obviously decided together. So tell us a little bit about your wife and and your family. Sure. Well, my wife is Scottish Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. I, by the way, am Muslim. Uh, mm-hmm. My father is a Shia Muslim, which is the dominant uh, Islamic tradition in Iran and in Bahrain. Mm-hmm. And it's a minority in Pakistan. Uh, my mum is Sunni, which is the dominant Muslim tradition all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I had a kind of mixed. There was a bit of conflict between my mum and dad. They never, my father did his Shia thing and my mum did her very liberal Sunni mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, but I met my wife about um, 14 years ago mm-hmm. and we just got on and um, a couple of years later we got married. She's, she's from a Christian tradition in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And um, when, I, when this colleague mentioned to me about social work, I just got very, very curious and I started finding out and doing lots and lots of research looking at the different results that um, home-educated children produced compared to school-aged children. There was a study done by the Carnegie Institute where they took about 1,500 school kids, matched them from ages 8 to 15, matched them against, demographically matched them against 1,500 home-educated kids, and then followed them over several years, testing them on all kinds of um, personal, academic measures and the home educated children won by um they beat the school children by 20 30 sometimes 40 percent in all the measures Mm. and i got very very curious like how come how come how come Mm. how come Mm. so then i started going into uh, delving into attachment i mean i don't know if you've covered attachment at all um, some of my some of my guests, the the unschoolers, um, have covered attachment, um, not in great detail, but um, yeah, yeah. Well, you, it, it it is the the conduit upon which the relationship between the parent and the child is formed, and it's critical to neurological development. It's absolutely vital to to um, neurological development and all other aspects of child development. And as a social worker, it's kind of the currency that I trade in. Mm-hmm. So whenever I um, encounter any children, I do reports or any kind of assessments, including reports to courts, I'm always asked, well, what are the attachment issues here? Um, And then one of the things that's happened uh, lately is that there's been a lot of research and development in uh, neurology, which confirms a lot of the principles about attachment. So I've uh, professionally, you know, kept my um, knowledge up to date by looking at all this stuff that's come up in neurology that's confirmed attachment. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't make sense to me. It just didn't make sense. In, um, in the UK, children, the compulsory school age is five. Mm-hmm. In most of the world, they don't actually send their children to seven, to seven, mm-hmm. six or seven. And um, in Britain, what actually happens is people often send their kids to school age three, four, you know, they go to the reception or pre preschool class yeah and that is also a very recent phenomenon so in 1970 i think one in five families sent their kids to nursery and it's now over 90 percent 
and they're not doing it for the uh, for the sake of the children because uh, England has some of the worst measures for holistic child health in terms of um, numbers of teenage pregnancies, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, um, educational performance, behavioral problems. There's not a lot that England has to teach the world and how to bring up children, how to educate them or school them. And everything I came across fitted that it didn't make sense to send children. Our, um, the attachment phase in human beings is seven years. And then there's a lot in um, that fits with that, not just from, from a neurological perspective, because the foundation of the brain, the limbic brain, finishes the foundation of work by the age of seven. The teeth, the adult teeth have come in, the child has lost the ability to suckle, and children are ready to move away from their partners, from their parents, and begin mm-hmm. to explore the world on their own. And I understand, was it the, the Jesuits say, you may have to correct me here, Vivian, uh, if, I, if I've got it wrong, that, you know, give me a man, give me a boy till age seven, then I'll give you a man. Mm-hmm. And then in the Quran, it's uh, no formal education till the age of seven. seven. And then mm-hmm. Steiner School doesn't do any education, formal education till the age of seven. So there's a lot of different models which all say, look, something happens at seven. So how come in Britain they send their kids to school at five and nowadays even earlier? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so obviously you... you um Earlier on in our conversation, we were talking about how we think about the world and how uh, is how we react to it. And, um, you know, I, I always think stereotyping, you know, homeschoolers are stereotypes. So you meet somebody that's never heard of it before and they've already got this little, well, they've heard of it, but they've got this image that's incorrect. And so how has all of this that you have learned affected your role as a social worker, a child protective social worker? Are you looking at it differently? Um, you know, your friend, you said, was a teacher, and you said to him, don't give up teaching, because, I mean, he has a lot to offer with this different perspective to the children yes. in the classroom. Yeah, automatic. I mean, his worldview of education and children in schools will have completely changed. Yes, it has, and he does, he does extraordinary things with his children. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there was a, there's a dem- near where he he t- schools. There's a demonstration, a 24 hour demonstration against this library being closed, mm-hmm. and uh, he got permission for. He suggested to his head teacher, who agreed, "Look, can I take the kids to this demonstration one afternoon?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just uh, just a re- it was a really great experience for the children. And a very yeah. Gatto-esque thing to do. He's he's read. I was going Gatto. to say that's what that's what John Taylor Gatto did. I mean, he took his children out into the community and encouraged them to work, you know, sort of hands-on. And and you know, you can learn so much more doing that. I think people are. I don't know. There's there's a whole thing. You know, we can't solve the problem during this conversation. But I think we can get people thinking alternatives, not being so frightened, because I think people are frightened about educating their own children, worried they won't do the job properly. And, you know, who says schools are doing the job properly either? Who's doing the job properly, you know? And um, talking about attachment, parents certainly um, can't go wrong if they keep their children at home with them, I don't think, you know, at least for as long as as seven, at least until seven, it would be wonderful. So, well, um, Imran, we're going on another break and we'll be back again after um, 90 seconds. For those of you just joining us, I'm talking to Imran Shah, a Pakistani-born British resident who educates his two children at home with his Scottish-born wife. We've been talking about um, how John Taylor Gatto influenced him to make his choices um, to um, keep his children at home 
working with him and Imran is a child protection social worker so stay with us while we break for a few moments and we'll continue our conversation How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand. Or you're the winner. Well, now we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on Toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressy. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on Togedat.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right. Um we were talking about your role and how it has changed now that you know um, more about um, home education and, um, um, you know, sort of attachment um, with, with the children and then your role as a child protective social worker. So how, how, what is your relationship now um, as a social worker with um, home educators? Well, I, I see it as a completely valid and appropriate way of uh, educating children often more so than, well, absolutely more so than sending them to school. And uh, I suppose I can straddle both worlds. And what I encounter at work is the professionals that I deal with, they really, really, really have no idea. None. Mm. They have no idea how it works, no idea about the legality of it or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Just, just no idea whatsoever. So then I say, okay, well, my role will be to educate them. Um, and then 
occasionally, mostly where I've come across it professionally, is where parents with a home is too dysfunctional for the child to be educated at home. This child, the home is so dysfunctional. Uh, you know, the parents have got mental health issues or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Child is not safe. This child will be better off in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there have been a couple of instances where I've st- stood for it with my um, with particular children. I mean, my coll- my managers and my team know that my children don't go to school mm-hmm. because I'm not going to hide under a stone. No, no, about, you can't. You know? No, no, yeah. no, no. But then it becomes a valid, viable option. Uh-huh. This is a way of approaching stuff. And then also I'm very, very clear about the law with regards to it. So when um, a professional will say to me, well, you know, you need the local authority's permission or approval or to be assessed, well, actually, no, you don't. No. And then in a personal capacity, what I have done and I'm completely willing to do is um, offer advice to home educators who are dealing with social work. Now, I can't go in, I'm not in no position to judge whether that child should be with them or not. But my commitment is to make sure that they know what their rights are and what social workers will, social services will be demanding of them and what they need to do mm-hmm. in order to um, improve conditions for their child. So um, I, spoke to some, I spoke to a lawyer who also was a child protection um, lawyer, actually, in America, and he told us some of the um, instances where um, he had been called in um, to homeschoolers. And so what he was saying to my listeners was, you know, sort of to be careful, to be very aware of what your laws are in your particular state and not to flaunt them so that you don't get irate neighbors or people on the street or at the grocery store, you know, sort of um, pointing fingers and reporting you for maybe leaving your child in a car for two seconds while you dash to get gas for your car or whatever. And um, so what, what kind, I mean, are they really serious allegations that you have dealt with or have you come across just totally ignorant people who have filed a complaint just because maybe the children were too noisy um, in the house during the day when they should have been at school, perhaps? Yes. Well, I've uh, mostly by the time they get to me, because I deal with the, with the rough end of uh, okay. um, child protection, mostly it is they are, they are being abused. Yeah. There, there's one case in, uh, where I remember a family... Um, where there were two teenage children, never been to school, never been to a, not registered with a GP or a health, the the, the doctor, Mm -hmm. not been to, never been, just weren't known to anybody. Mm. And then uh, it turned out that the the parents had really severe mental health problems Mm. Mm. and they didn't let the teenagers out at all. Mm. And when I confronted the parents and uh, they said to me, look, we're, we're home educating. Mm. And I said, well, show me the books. Mm. There were no books in this house, none. Mm. No, you know, a Bible, an atlas, the encyclopedia, just one book, no books. Yeah. Mm. So uh, that was an instance where, you know, I was able to use uh, the powers that I have as a, under the Children's Act to affect change yeah. there. I mean, yeah. occasionally I've come across... Um, I have come across instances where a, there's, uh, a parent is taking their child out of school, the child's on a child protection plan, being overseen by social services. They've taken their child out of school and they're home educating. And then I, as a, I've done an assessment of their home education and said, well, look, it appears to be adequate. So we don't have any rights here. 
Mm. Our job is to deal with the welfare of the child. Yeah. Is the child yeah. getting everything that he or she needs? Yeah. So can you tell us something about the law? I mean, how how academic does it have to be um, within, within your home? I mean, d- does the law insist that you use a curriculum or is it pretty free? No, it's, 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 I think it's, it's uh, very, very akin, I imagine, to some of the more liberal states in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of any right now, but it's not at all prescriptive. So I mm-hmm. don't have to... Um, so, so I don't have to inform the local authority that I'm home educating. My children have never been to school. Mm-hmm. Had they been to school, I need to let the school know that I'm taking them out, and then the school may or may not tell the local authority it's their duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, my children have never been to school, so I don't have to be assessed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to follow any particular curriculum. There's no uh, requirement for me to follow a timetable. What the law says is it's my duty, mine and my wife's duty, to educate our children according to their age, aptitude and ability, either by full-time attendance at school or otherwise. Or otherwise, that's right. Or otherwise. So we're <laughs> educating them otherwise, and otherwise is very, very loose, yes. extremely yeah. loose, which I think is as it should be. Mm-hmm. There, there was a, attempts by the previous government, the Labour government, to change the law with regards to uh, home education to monitor it um, and to give them to give the state a lot more say over how it went and uh, there was a vociferous noisy campaign by uh, home educators in Britain Mm. against that and and it was that um, one of the the things that I said and I appeared before the select committee in the House of Lords that I as a social worker already have enough powers to make sure that children aren't being abused. I do not need any more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in, in, um, fact, uh, in, in jest, parents need to be protected against me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you do, you, you didn't need any more um, power. But I think what the government was also trying to, to do, they probably wouldn't have been able to do because they didn't have enough literal manpower to be able to go in and um, monitor all of these households that are home educating their children, and you know, so that would be really difficult to do, wouldn't it? Well, I, I, yeah, they didn't have the money because of the the problems with um, government deficit and stuff, mm-hmm. but also the amount of paperwork that it would create. Yes, monitoring makes any makes a difference. Yes. And and my attitude, and I think that of many, many home educators, you've made such a mess of English schools. You're now going to tell us how to do the job better than we're doing I know. Away. I know. Well, and there's this, this talk of um, my, my cousins who are teachers of bringing the army in, you know, just saying, well, we, we want our principals of our schools to be ex-army officers and their staff to have some kind of army background because they know how to, you know, sort of take direction. I'm going, oh, oh my goodness, what oh. is happening? <laughs> oh, which, which Vivian paradoxically brings us full, full circle back to the Prussian schooling yeah. model to yeah. train, to train the, the peasant class to become foot soldiers in Prussian's army and obey orders and yeah. defeat Napoleon's yeah. army. But paradoxically, um, I'm involved with a couple of teachers, including the one that I mentioned earlier, in a project to set up uh, Britain's first Sudbury Valley type school. Yes, there's a, tell us um, about that. Well, there's a website. If you Google Froome Free School, you'll find out more about it. So the government 
So, so the present government want to make it easier for um, parents and other agencies to set up their own schools, their own school provision, and so it doesn't have to follow the standard model. So parents mm-hmm. can have choice. Mm-hmm. And um, th- those schools will be funded to the same level as a state school is. And there are different kind of requirements, like you don't have to be a qualified teacher to work there. So a couple of friends of mine... Um, who are passionate, who are teachers and are passionate about alternatives to education, including home education, we, they set up, they made a proposal for a Sudbury Valley school. Now, a Sudbury Valley school um, is based on the Summer, Summerhill model in Suffolk in East Anglia, England. Mm-hmm. But basically, children turn up at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. and um, all they do all day long is play. In mixed age, there are no classes there's no age, age segregation. Uh, the children run the school democratically, so each child and each staff member has one vote. And they elect a judicial commis- committee which decides on what the rules are for the school, which deals with disciplinary issues, which works out budgeting. Everything is done. It's mm-hmm. completely democratic. Mm-hmm. And the more and more I learned about this, and I thought that there's nothing I could find fault. And I thought to myself, you know, if there was one in the town where I lived and I said to my son, who's now seven, would you like to go to a Sudbury Valley school He'd be like, and play all day long? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then and then they go on to produce extraordinary results. Yeah. yeah. So that's a really, really successful model. But uh, the state doesn't really want people that are free thinkers who don't beat to the drum of the of the state authorities well and also free thinkers though are um we'll, we'll get through anyway i do, it, yes. it really doesn't matter whether the government's for free thinkers or not if you're a, a true free thinker you yes. will you will well, succeed my, my my friend's application was rejected twice so we're now looking again to see if we can um we're just committed to that there be Sudbury schools, Sudbury Valley type schools in Britain. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, Imran, we've come to the end of our time and um, I've had a wonderful conversation with you. Um, I've been talking with Imran Shah, who shared his homeschooling journey with us this afternoon. Imran and his wife autonomously educate their two children in Britain and we talked about the laws that surround home education here. He's a child protection social worker, a trained public speaker and outspoken opponent of the recent government attempts to reform home education here in Britain. Imran, have a wonderful weekend with your family and thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Vivian, thank you. It was a delight. All the best. Good. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Um, okay. Well, you come back in about 90 seconds and um, I will continue with uh, my show and talk a little bit about what I spoke to Eli Gerzon about. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody in the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Last week, during my conversation with Eli Gerzon, who is a graduated unschooler in his 20s, I asked him what was the one thing he thought was essential to teach all children, whether they were homeschooled or not. His answer wowed every adult in the world, I would think, or at least the world I inhabit, especially since it came from a member of the younger generation. As the owner-operator of World School Travel Tours, Eli told me he thought all children should be taught respect. He'd experienced disrespect firsthand from homeschoolers as well as the traditionally educated. This reminded me of a conversation I'd had with Gretchen Rowe, community liaison for Calvert School earlier this year. Gretchen and I had talked about a topic which at first glance may get those homeschool detractors pointing fingers at us and saying, told you so. As we continued our discussion, I realized that this topic applied to all children, including children who are not homeschooled. The topic Gretchen had introduced was one she considered to be the most important skill we can teach our children, the ability to engage with others. Now, engaging with others may just be a subtle way of saying socialization, and it really is. It's a social objective. This engagement with others is imperative for children of all ages and includes the ability to relate to others, respect their needs, and react appropriately in social situations. In England, these interactions take place a lot more than they do in our cars in America. Go out on the streets and walk, and immediately we're surrounded by people requiring a lot of social interaction. 
My Texan and I have found the level of respect to be appallingly low among the younger generation. Eli was quick to point out to me that he didn't consider himself to be in this group of people, although he agreed that he found high levels of disrespect among his peers. As parents, whether we opt to homeschool or not, we have a responsibility to put our children in situations that allow them to practice relating to others. As a family, our children were in theatrical performances and took on character personas. We found this a great way of role-playing. Those who aren't in theatre can practice as Gretchen did with her children. She would have them pretend they were meeting someone they'd never met before or at least not had a conversation with before. She'd help them decide how to behave, what questions to ask, how to simply pass the time of day for a few moments, or when it was appropriate, how to get into a deeper conversation. Social engagement could also include opening doors for your elders and young ladies, standing as a sign of respect when a lady enters a room, males removing their hats when indoors or in the presence of a lady. Living as I am in a warp bus train society, I can't help but notice the automatic reflexes of even the oldest men who move to give up their seat on a crowded bus when they see a woman standing or step back to let a lady go in front of them through a door. My father, dodgy as he was on his old pins, would have done the same. Unfortunately, the manners of young people today are not as courteous and it is evident in the shops, on the buses, in the streets and on the train platforms of London Town as they push and shove, don't offer their seats and talk loudly to each other and on their phones. When I was six and my brother was four, we left Germany firmly versed in the etiquette of well-behaved fräuleins and hairs. I do a little knicks or curtsy when greeting or saying goodbye to someone, and my brother would shake hands and click his heels together with a sharp bow of the head. What happened to those days? We were probably made fun of at school, but we did still shake hands when being introduced to someone for the first time. A dying art today, I'm afraid. I'm not advocating heel clicking and head bowing, though. I asked Gretchen, do you have a lesson plan for teaching these social skills? Not yet, she said, but it's in the workings as a webinar. Something to look forward to if you're a Calvert user. Children need to be taught by the example of their adult companions. Teachers aren't allowed to imprint any of their morals on the children under their care, so it does fall to the parents to set examples. Unfortunately, some of the younger parents breaking through are as unversed socially as their children. I've been socially engaged with some young people in my care recently from church. They're prime examples and not unique of how the future generation is shaking up. They seem to have missed the lesson on please and thank you. And when they first came to our flat, they were enamoured of my soda stream machine with accompanying cordials. They tried all four flavours on offer using a new cup for each flavour. I only noticed this when they called me in to get some more cups down from the cupboard for them. It hadn't occurred to them to rinse each cup and reuse it. They apparently don't do dishes at home. There's a dishwasher, which the adults load. They don't clear their plates when they finished eating. They may break something. They don't know how to say, oh, that was delicious, but they won't hold back if something's not to their liking. They shout at each other, yelling across rooms, gardens and closed doors. We took them out scootering down the high street and stopped to use the impressive flower-adorned public conveniences. They left their scooters in the doorway to the toilets and my handsome Texan leaned down to move them over and another man shook his head and said, young people today have no consideration for others. Eli astutely observed that social skills, respect, 
consideration and engaging with others are all skills many young people today are lacking in and need to be taught. And it doesn't take much teaching because most of it is common sense. So the next time someone tells you their child goes to traditional school, try putting the shoe on the other foot and asking, but aren't you worried about socialization? Well, this past Monday, we conducted a very quiet service for the scattering of my parents' ashes on one of the beaches where they'd spent many hours during their retirement walking their dog. The tide was high, it was on its way down, and the wind was wicked. I looked at my Texan and said, not really ash scattering weather, is it? Remembering Anne Lamott's story about scattering her father's ashes on top of a hill overlooking the place where he lived. Nevertheless, with our backs against the wall, we found a concrete stairwell leading down to the beach with a handrail. I was glad of the rail because the steps were covered in seaweed and the water looked bitterly cold if by chance I missed my footing. We said some prayers in a huddle and our voices carried out to sea on the gale force wind. Then I took the ashes down to the water's edge and let them go. The time was twelve noon. They were gone, a dismal day, almost over. I was happy to have my two girls and faithful knight errant with me as I said my final farewells. A stone will be carved at home in America as a visual reminder, but I don't think I will ever need one of those. I have plenty of memories jostling around in my head. Well, selling property in England can take a long time, so I've started the procedure to give us many months to play the waiting game or not, depending on what the market coughs up. My solicitors sent me a lengthy form which resembled a scavenger hunt of major proportions. Not only did I have to decide what was going with the flat in the way of curtains and curtain rods, radiators and kitchen appliances, I had to send out lifelines to friends and acquaintances whom I guessed may be able to help me answer some of the more delving questions asked of my humble dwelling before it could be marketed. As I was ploughing through the forms, I grew irritated. Surely some of this information should be archived from previous sales of the same flat. Questions concerning the double glazing and roofing and routine maintenance done on the property since it was first built. But no, the multiple-page form read as if this was the first time anyone had ever garnered any information about the property in its 30 years of existence. Insulation, boundaries, changes to building use were all in question and had me running around hither and thither searching out individuals who had been residents since the construction Thank goodness some of my neighbours have been here since the beginning. I had to dig around for old accounts, share certificates and original deeds about the shared freehold, which I think are probably in the public record since a private holding company had to be formed and registered. So why all the additional questions? Then a man had to come and check the energy efficiency of the flat. And I know one of these checks was done two years ago when we bought the property. So why could that information not be used again? Well, it all boils down to money. Solicitors, chartered surveyors and energy experts have to make a living. I'd love it if I could be paid for the hours I spent gathering information and proof. The energy performance certificate, called an EPC, was quite amusing, really. By law, there has to be one one done on each property before it can be put up for sale. The report issues recommendations for better use of energy, and we were advised to replace 
all of our light bulbs for the more efficient ones, you know, the ones that take a long time to glow and then don't radiate much light but last for five years. We were also advised to replace our boiler, which is about the same age as the property and one of those that keeps going and going, as well-made appliances back in the day are wont to do. In the end, with the added cost of the recommendations, it was estimated we would save a whopping £18 a year in fuel costs. Crikey, I could save £90 by not having to have one of those EPCs done. Anyway, I gathered up all my answers and completed my forms on the train on the way to Broadstairs for the ash scattering. And then I had a board meeting a few days later in the flats and the other four members of the board had already noted through their fluttering curtains that a few interested buyers had been shown around our flat. They also knew the asking price. I really don't think I like this communal dwelling. Um, Malia is on half term this week. She spent a couple of days with us with a stomach virus of sorts. This had made her at once miserable and effervescent, depending on the stage in her of her medication. Unfortunately, she has such a good appetite that everything smelled good to her when she was feeling better. Then she'd eat something and regret it. Finally, when she went back for extra rehearsals at college, I suggested she spent 24 hours watching what she's eating to give her stomach a chance to settle down. And then she came home yesterday and we kept her on bland food for the day. And I kept suggesting that she eat an apple. And both the girls will give me that. Yum, mum, that sounds so good. Look. Well, it looks as though I have come almost to the end of my hour this week. I don't know where the time rushes off to, but it does. Um, we're off to uh, the pub this evening with the two girls, followed by Mexican food, depending on how the stomachs are. Then I think my brother and the boys are coming over during the weekend for a last visit with Paris before she heads back home on Sunday and I'm going to do a special meal. In fact, I'm going to make one of my chocolate trifles, which I know they've never had. Keep up those kudos. And I'll be here same time, same place next week with the first of my homeschool graduate series, which you won't want to miss. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome clean-shaven husband who believes in love at first sight our four children who are the result of that belief i miss you too in texas the hard-working staff at toginet radio my guest imran shah and my faithful listeners especially Anne in lindale hannah tina rosemary sarah and many others who are a part of my growing audience listen to my friend sandy fowler of Hartfield holidays on monday and ali lapreet later on today may the lord bless you and keep you May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doop, See you next week. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi